Okay, Revelation chapter 14, verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape, the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood throwed, flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your, act, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Um, cool. Thanks, guys, and thank Mark. Uh, thank you, Mark, for reading. Um, it's great to be with you. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy working week uh, to come and be together, to come and think about this book and some huge, huge truths. Um, Joel told me that last week you had uh, a guest event, and I hope that you were able to invite colleagues or at least kind of use the opportunity to uh, engage with colleagues afterwards. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you find that generally in your context to talk openly about Jesus. The world that John has been describing in Revelation uh, certainly sounds like that would be quite a risky thing to do. So a dragon and beasts waging war on the saints and conquering them, crazy disturbing images and not as easy to dismiss as we might like. Um, this is not happening far, far away in some distant realm. It's not a parable. Those visions are our present reality, the one we can't see with our eyes. This is the revelation that we need in order to see what's really going on in the world. Um, and maybe it's just me, but <laughs> I've occasionally thought, to be honest, maybe I'd rather not know. Maybe ignorance is bliss. And sure, it stops me from being a sleepy, comfortable Christian, unaware of the dangers. But 
I'm more on my guard now. I'm just not sure how much I really want to be in a battle. Has reading Revelation made you bolder as a Christian? Or do you really just want to get away from the front line? Um, I think that's kind of easy enough to do in London if you want to. In fact, it's kind of encouraged. Christianity that doesn't speak out is far less likely to face disciplinary action. Christianity which compromises and adapts and conforms is no longer a threat. Why fight if you don't have to? Why join in the worship war when it says the beast is allowed to conquer the saints anyway? Our passage today pushes home the motivation to keep fighting and to keep witnessing to the truth, to not switch sides and to endure. Yes, the war is still raging. When the beast is allowed to conquer, we're still in that fight. We're still in the middle of it. But it radically changes your attitude to fighting if you know how the battle ends. Uh, so that's what we're looking at today. Keep fighting because final worldwide judgment brings final worldwide victory. Um, and I'm aware, as, uh, as Mark read that passage for us, some of it is quite graphic. We don't usually enjoy talking about judgment. But this is our victory. It is a good thing. Jump straight to the end of where we read to, and I think that's pretty clear. These verses close off another section in Revelation. You can see that because uh, verse 1 of chapter 15 again takes us to the final day of God's wrath. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last with them the wrath of God is finished so we're we're talking about final judgment here at which point we immediately burst into song because the war is over and the singers did you notice in verse two they are those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of his name long gone is the woe to you O earth of chapter 12 or the how long O lord of chapter six here are the people of the earth who have conquered over the beast. And they sing, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. They call him holy and righteous. That is the assessment as we go through. And this is a good thing. This is our victory. It will help us if we remember that. But verse 14, um, where we began. Then I looked. And behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. The, the son of man language um, is only used twice in the book of Revelation. The first time was right back at the start of the book where we get that epic vision of Jesus, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he's standing in the midst of his churches. The Jesus who knows his churches, remember, and who gave them words to help them conquer. That Jesus is here, a crown on his head to reestablish his true authority on the earth. And he's holding a sickle because it's harvest time. That's what the angel says. Put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the clouds, swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. And if you're here as a Christian today, um, that is you. That's where you are in the passage. Um, you are the crop being reaped. 
Earlier in verse four, the Lamb's army were described as the first fruits redeemed from mankind for God and the Lamb. This is the picture of those first fruits being reaped, the portion that is set apart for God, his own people. And I think it is helpful to know that the Son of Man is the one who wields the sickle. Uh, do, do we know what a sickle is? Have people seen a sickle before? I don't know. Uh, it's a big curved knife um, that they used to use to hack down wheat. Um, Jesus clearly has an enormous sickle. Um, so this one is large enough to sweep over the entire earth in one swing. Um, good to just remember the scale we're supposed to be thinking at here before we get too sentimental in our picture of Jesus the farmer. Um, remember, he's seated on a cloud. He's wearing a crown. He's not in dungarees and a straw hat. Um, but can we be sure that that Jesus, as he swings his sickle over the entire earth, is he careful enough? Is he precise? Are we sure that he won't miss or damage any of his people as he gathers in that harvest? Yes, he's the son of man. He helps people to conquer and he stands in the midst of his churches. He knows them. He knows how to gather in his people when the hour comes for him to judge. This is good news. This is our victory. Great and amazing are your deeds, O God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the Nations. Um, but you probably noticed, as we read it earlier, there is another harvest happening at the same time. Um, in fact, there were two different types of crop being grown all over the world. Um, I think it's very clear they're, they're different because different figures reap them for very different purposes. Both times, angels declare that the harvest is ripe. But again, they're different words um, that, that imply the first crop was some kind of grain whereas the second one is definitely a, a harvest of grapes. So in verse 19, the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress. This is certainly not the last image we get of God's wrath being poured out. It may not even be the most distressing, but it's definitely pretty grim. The grape harvest is the rest of mankind, those who don't belong to the lamb. And the point here is to put right the authority on earth as it is in heaven. If we think this is excessive, then we need to keep reading Revelation and we need to start to believe in the Lord God Almighty. Revelation Chapter four, verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. Revelation 14, verse seven, just earlier in this chapter, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. There's nothing in the world that doesn't belong to and owe its ongoing existence to God. The earth is his and everything in it. And it's nothing Jesus himself hasn't already said. Uh, Matthew 25, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he'll separate people one from another. This is the great separation that Jesus promised. I think we'll always struggle to grasp the extent of how evil it is not to fear God or not to give him glory, not to worship him. 
we probably need to keep recalibrating our definition of good and evil and what really makes sin, sin. But he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is good news. This is our victory. Great and amazing are your deeds, O God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. All of us will know people who are currently on the wrong side of God's judgment, in the wrong harvest, I guess. And it will be impossible for us to not have a, a mixed bag of emotions as we contemplate final judgment. But it is vital for justice. We should want that for churches like the one in Smyrna or Philadelphia at the start of the book, where the devil was about to throw some of them in prison. Jesus told them they'd have tribulation and he urged them be faithful unto death. I am not thankful enough that death is not my most imminent danger. There are plenty of Christians around the world who couldn't say the same. I recommend uh, Open Doors and organisations like them to just keep helping us to put life in perspective. Many countries where a four week delay to COVID restrictions lifting um, and the kind of knock on implications of my summer holiday. That's actually not the biggest concern in many places around the world. I read an article earlier this year about a pastor um, of a church in Egypt and asked how we in the West could pray for brothers and sisters in his country. This was his reply. Please don't pray for us. Please pray with us. If you pray for us, you'll pray for the wrong things. You'll pray for the church to be safe. You'll pray for persecution to cease. We are not praying for this. We ask God for the salvation of Egypt. We ask that he draw millions of Muslims to Christ. We ask that we will be bold and clear in sharing our faith with Muslims. And we pray that when the inevitable persecution comes, that we'll not run away that we will be faithful in that persecution, even if it costs us our lives. Will you tell your friends to pray these prayers with us? Isn't that an astonishing thing to say? I feel very convicted that even studying a book like Revelation, with a persecuted church, it comes up time and time again. I'm still pretty quick to forget brothers and sisters around the world. The relatively privileged, comfortable life I get to live because I won the geographical lottery means I can very successfully distance myself from that call to be faithful unto death. And even when I do pray for them, do my prayers imply that their greatest need is to live somewhere safer, somewhere a bit more like London, as if the goal was an easier life away from the front lines of battle. That pastor is, is so clear on the era of history that we live in, so clear on the church's purpose now, and he clearly believes, uh, just before our reading, 14 verse 13, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labours for their deeds follow them. This is where we see that blessing. They die in the Lord, resting from their labours. He knows their deeds and he reaps them for himself. They do not face the winepress of the wrath of God. They have victory. And that church in Egypt doesn't ask for pity. They know that they're better off than the rest of mankind by far. So they will continue to proclaim the gospel, even if it costs them their lives. 
But we should want this day to come, the day of God's judgment, so that that decision is vindicated. We should want justice for God's people in Egypt and North Korea and Afghanistan and Somalia. Maybe in the years to come, we'll realise we want that day to come for Christians in London as well. But Judgment Day makes sense of their sacrifice. And we should want it for God's own sake as well. How long he has delayed this moment and is delaying it right now until the full number of his people is redeemed, waiting while the witness goes out and the harvest is ripe. I want him to be God. I want him not just to be my God, but the God of the whole earth. I want him to have the glory he deserves. And despite the fact that we don't deserve any share in that glory, he's made it our victory as well. Remember, we get to conquer. 15 verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. More detail to come in the book on the destination and the celebrations. But if you are a Christian, you will stand by that sea of glass, harp in hand, as a conqueror. That's how the war ends for us. Joel, the conqueror. Margaret, the conqueror. Mark, the conqueror. We will all sing together with brothers and sisters from around the world. We will declare great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Um, our church family at, at Eton sang together for the first time um, the other weekend. The first time in about a year. Uh, because of the COVID restrictions. And it was really great. It felt so right. Um, and it was a relief after such a long time of waiting. Um, some people even cried. <laughs> we have had a tough year with a horrible virus. But the relief and the joy that we felt, that will be nothing compared to the day when we sing this song together. Uh, we will see the fruit of the witness that was hard work going out. A global gospel for every nation and tribe and language and people. Those people are here now. A global judgment on the entire earth and a global victory sung by all nations. No world watch list, no dangerous places for Christians to live, no bans on church gatherings or Bibles, not even the snide remarks and the hostility that maybe you feel in your workplace in the UK. We're not there yet, but this is the incentive to keep fighting, to join in the war for the worship of the nations, because you cannot lose. There is no other possible result. Our international anthem will play in the end. Final worldwide judgment brings final worldwide victory. We get to conquer. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the Nations. Amen.